VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Don't you? We're not going to talk about how brave you are. Why? Well, you know, battling through your laryngitis. No, no, I've got 10 minutes at the end. Hello, everybody. Welcome to our London studios and welcome to The Ruck. Thanks so much for all those people who downloaded and who listened last week where uh, our numbers were spectacularly good. Uh, That was just for the um, normal um, weekly Ruck podcast led by Owen Slot and also our special with Wayne Barnes, which went down the storm. So thanks for supporting us. Got a fantastic panel today, or at least that was the plan. Alan Dimmock from Rugby World, one of our most popular panellists, is back today for his insight into Scottish forward play. In fact, most of them are injured, Al. Um, and all that that one about I'll bring my boots is having a slight... You must be getting a little bit nervous about that now. You're between the ages of 10 and 50 and can play in the front row, or yeah. just about. I can see straight as well. I mean, the depth of uh, from, uh, prop supplies in Scotland is, has the depth of a teaspoon, I think. They got, but they've got six players out. Is that not right? Six props? There's quite a few lads missing, yeah. Three, OK. Also on the panel today is Paul Edison. It's his first time. He's in by popular demand. And he's from the Sports Beat Sports Agency. Also, Owen Slot uh, from the Times. Owen, we've got the Times in front of us here. Half of a page is taken up by the Times list of injuries and people who won't be playing in the next few weeks in the Six Nations because they're injured. What do you make of that? I mean, the, the IRB, sorry, World Rugby are telling us it's just a spike, it's just a one-off. But it's pretty gruesome reading, isn't it? They're telling us it's a, sp- a spike uh, and it's a one-off, but I don't think they're. I think that's what they have to say at the moment because I th- I'm sure that they're concerned about it and they would they would be an abrogation of their duty if they weren't worried about how, it. How can you possibly say that it's a one-off? <clears throat> How do you not know that it's going to then continue for the rest of the season? What, what they say is, they said every now and again, first of all, they say that injuries have not gone up since 2003, which, okay, statistics may be statistics, but they also say that there are occasional spikes. Now, when you get the Six Nations being partly devastated, as you say, Al, that's more, that's more than a spike. Well, absolutely, because, I mean, let's remember, it's, it might be a spike at the start of Six Nations. At what point does that spike become the norm? Because it's not like no one gets injured during the Six Nations. It's not like we're not going to see more and more people falling out of squads. Yeah. I, I, I was baffled, when because um, Ben Kay, who I, who I respect very highly, we tried to make out in the paper on Sunday that actually, look, stop fussing, it always happens and we, you've got to get over it. Well, that's two or three per game. But when you, Wales have got six lines out, Scotland have got six props and, uh, you know, England have got four loose heads. It becomes ridiculous. I, I, was, I was baffled by that as well. I thought I, he was Just, making a point that, that injuries have happened since God knows how long. But of course that's the that is the case but right now as as 
a group of journalists, yourself, Steve, myself, lots of people have been saying this Six Nations is largely governed by strength and depth and who can withstand injuries rather than who has the best team. Well, exactly. Paul, um, if you can you ever remember it being so bad for Six Nations? One team now and again, perhaps, but you look across the teams. I mean, we've obviously talked in depth about England, Scotland, Ireland, haven't got so many, but still are missing the likes of Sean O'Brien. Italy are missing their three most dangerous backs in Esposito, Sato and Campagnaro. France are missing the first choice, 9, 10, 12, full-back, blindside flanker. You're looking at five or six starters per team. Kind of how, how can you possibly judge where these teams are with so many players absent? Do you think, Paul, that it devalues it? I mean, let's be fair, there will be 30 out there on uh, 60 players out on Saturday starting in their national colours with the national anthem and it'll still be interesting. But does it lose something when... It's you've got Division Two teams out there. You, you do certainly lose some of the appeal, kind of. So those people who watched last summer's Lions tour and saw Jonathan Davies as the player of the series, and now not going to see him at all. No Webb, no bigger. These guys all missing. Um, it also becomes a test of it's not who's the best team. It's a test of who's got the most depth. We've talked about England's injuries, but England will have the most depth, so innately they'll have an advantage in that sense. I do think it loses a little bit of its luster with that, without all these players. What, what I would say at this point is it's terrible to not see the very, very best. There are a lot of quality, quality players out. But one of the best things, you know, to put a positive, to find the silver lining here somewhere, one of the best things about the Six Nations and something we look out for every season without fail is who are the new, new heroes? And there will, because there will, the, the amount of attention on the Six Nations, as Slotty points out there, will not diminish in any way whatsoever. All the eyes will be on it. Let's see who those new, new guys are. So we've got rookie, we know that there will be rookie fly halves, for example, playing for France and playing for Wales. Let's see which one of them puts their hands up and becomes a true star. That is the one good thing I can see out of this. But to go back to the main point, absolutely, I agree with Owen. This is something, we may as well get used to this conversation now because it's not going away anytime soon. The interesting thing here for me is I think we, we talk a lot about the these years as build-ups to the World Cup. The Six Nations is in the middle of a domestic season, so so you have stretches taking taking players off every single game, and as we say, it's about a test of strength and depth. World Cups happen after three three and a half month break, and so the European nations in particular should have ninety five percent of their starters available. So it's a, it's actually a different game, guys. I want to just go on to individual um, countries now. On Sunday, I after a long thought tipped Ireland to win the tournament. I actually fancied them before all this uh, chaos of injury came out as well. And um, we're going to go now to Peter O'Reilly, our Irish rugby correspondent. Pete, uh, I know you've had a rush this morning because your chauffeur didn't was, was late uh, <laughs> p- picking you up. You must be um, surveying the scene with a rather a sort of happy or even smug air there because um, Ireland's uh, injuries are problematical but not as, as sort of all-consuming as some. Yeah. And um, they're not making that much of a fuss about it. I mean, every day there's some New England fuss about something that Eddie Jones has, has invented. Joe Schmidt's very quiet, but uh, you must be very confident. Yeah, I, I suppose if you've been watching Ireland for as long as I have, you get a bit worried when, when Ireland are tipped to win in Paris. Because, <laughs> as you know, Ireland, I should say, have won only once since the O'Driscoll game in 2000 where he scored the hat-trick, and that was in 2014. And that would worry you, the fact that we're going to... Uh, going to Paris as, as favourites but there is optimism over here there are fewer injury issues as you say provinces have been flying particularly Leinster and, and Munster who make up the bulk of the of the international team they've been flying in Europe um, I think the 
the schedule actually isn't too bad. Uh, normally, uh, even numbered years aren't good for Ireland because we that means Ireland go to uh, to Paris and to London, which traditionally have been problems for for Ireland. What issues do they have in terms of selection? Will Will um, uh, Dorothy Lamour's uh, grandson? Um, <laughs> will he has, has he got a chance of starting? As you can imagine, Joe Schmidt was asked this question uh, at the launch last Wednesday, and he put a bit of a teaser out there saying that, yeah, he really hoped that, that Jordan would be one of the stars of the Six Nations and he had a great opportunity to push for inclusion. I'd be amazed if, if Schmidt goes for that because I think Italy at home, second game, looks a much better opportunity to, to throw somebody in sure, for sure. their first cap. He has a bit of punch in midfield with uh, with Bucky, uh, Bundiaki and, and Robbie Henshaw together. Jacob Stockdale offers something new and he's already been blooded in November. He's got enough carrying power in the pack. So I would say Larmer will uh, will wait up. It's, it's, the interesting thing I would say is whether he will fe- he'll feature at 23. My, my guess is that Rob Carney will start at 15 just for the security of his presence. Sure. The back row is probably the, is probably the interesting that, area. For that's, the, that's the one thing where you can't really put your hand on that and say we know what's, who they're going to pick. Is, is, isn't that right? Well, yeah. I mean, if you, if you looked at... Um, of who's there who's available um, obviously no Heathcliff no O'Brien uh, at the moment um, you would say that Peter O'Mahony and CJ Stan picked themselves but um, O'Mahony's a little bit beaten up has played quite a bit of um, he looked just, just a bit beaten up towards the end of the uh, of the European pool games uh, but his line out presence I think will get him in and his leadership and CJ as a stander, I suppose, will get so we'll get him in as a carrier. Um, Paul, you closely um, studying the French scene, pretty formidable lineup there that um, Pete um, Peter uh, suggested, even though he was slightly worried about the odd years or even years and etc. But how do you see France? Because it's the sixty-four million dollar question, isn't it? Are they going to be any better? Are they going to be just as bad? It's difficult to see at this stage, kind of w- what to expect. Obviously, a new coach in December, new coaching staff. Um, I think what is quite interesting is the team that they're looking at picking looks like it's going to be very athletic. Uh, we're looking at a back row with Sekou Makaru, Yakuba Kamara and Kevin Gordon. So no big carriers, but three pretty rapid guys. Um, second row, Ituria as well, who's going to make his first start. He's another one who's very quick. So the the idea of the big French pack might not be quite as prevalent this year. We might see more of a, an athletic team who you can't run off your feet, but they maybe won't be able to batter away as they did to beat Ireland two years ago. But but, but um, is it also true? I mean, isn't it on the same subject that Bast- neither Bastro nor Dante are in the centre? So, I mean, they, they, they're obviously not going to try and carry the ball up through the midfield? No. So I think it's looking like Lamarat and Dumeru, um will be the centres again, kind of one kind of glue guy who's just going to kind of be there in midfield, kind of organising things. And then Dumeru outside him is a fantastic kind of support runner. Um, obviously, a lot will rest on their young fly half, Mathieu Jalibert, who looks like he's going to start his first first cap at 19 um, but yeah I, I think it's going to be a, a pretty pacey French team whether they can kind of get together in the space of a week and actually put things together is another matter Sounds really exciting Al but um, fancy having a, a dilemma on the loose head between um, you know between Jack McGrath and Keane Healy I mean it's be, we're suggesting now that France are going to be quicker and more athletic but are they not left something behind against a, 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 a pack as hard and tough as Ireland? Well it'll be a familiar if you look at the, the squads that are talking about the team they're talking about picking for France it'll be a familiar looking front row for them and that's where the experience comes in the pack that's where the, you get the guys like Jefferson Poirot who you've seen a lot carrying up um, 
D- Denny, Danny Preso is another guy who's off the bench who will be uh, a fresh face, you imagine, who's been packing it in for La Rochelle. But that's where they're not going to lose an edge is in, in the front row. And But the, the good thing for Ireland is that, I mean, at this, and Peter can talk talk to this more than I can, but where we saw Keane Healy even a year ago compared to where he is now, you know, pushing Jack McGrath all the way, starting quite a lot of games uh, for Leinster and looking like um, the Keane Healy of old, that has got to be a real boost um, for, mm. for the coaches in Ireland. And Peter will be able to tell us now. But uh, where do you see that falling down? Do you think they'll split the time between them, uh, Healy and McGrath, or do you think it's one guy's shirt to lose? It's a hard one to call, Al. I would say the feeling over here is that Healy may get in um, because he's actually more of an attacking scrummager and having been out-scrummaged two years ago when Ireland went with a a weakened tight five, they might see this as an opportunity. Uh, He's in such good form at the moment. He's just lost a little bit of of weight and has really tightened up in terms of power. He's incredibly hungry, whereas Jack McGrath is the one Irishman who has suffered a tiny bit of a dip post-Lions. Oh, in um, we waited a heck of a long time for France to become competitive. Do you sense there's anything happening there? By all the theories except a wizard in sport, France should absolutely bomb this uh, Six Nations. There's, there's hardly anything to, to, to support a theory that they can be good. They've got a new coach, they've got assistant coaches that haven't really be, uh, uh, got a whole lot of experience, and then they've got the, the most undercapped squad in the whole of the uh, of the Six Nations. All that together, and you think, well, who's going to make it work? You either want an experienced group of players and new coaching, or, or, or better, if you're going to bring all these new kids in, you need a really experienced uh, coaching group so you haven't got that so there's very much a, and it'll be alright on the night sort of feel to it and and you know we're, we're digging back into real old cliches here but if there is a country you can do it can we even say that anymore that France can flick that switch and it might happen I mean I just don't see it We can we really can we really envisage that happening on day one I mean maybe by the end of the Six Nations when they play together yeah. a bit more and they know where they are but from the start I mean I just think Ireland have got there right at the right time we'll, we'll just go we'll just go along now in the studio then we'll, we'll end up with Peter giving the last word um, <laughs> do you see any, any, any hope at all from France are we talking three um, big Irish victories here or what I mean I think it probably these things they're always slightly closer than you think I, I, I think probably Ireland will win not by 20 points or by probably not even by 15 but probably by about 8 or 10 Yeah, I, I agree with that completely the Ireland have got the nous and the experience to, to know how to do it and, and if it comes to a close thing then that's where they'll take it yeah, I agree. I think Ireland are a team who they they just make no mistakes. And if you've got a, a fresh young team who maybe will grow into the tournament, but the worst possible team to start up against is Ireland. You just know that they're not going to make errors. I'd say France, but uh, Ireland by yeah eight to ten. Um, I'd, I'd agree. I think Ireland will win it. I think for France, it will be too much too soon. Um, it, I think it will be. It, coaches love using the phrase at the moment, chaos. And this game will, looking at the French setup, this game will be chaos with those two young flying back rows. Likely, um, you know, if if Levy or Van de Fleer or anyone else starts in the back row against that young French back row, I think it will be be good fun. But Ireland will see it out. I think it will be too soon for France. But I think their game in Marseille against Italy that'll be the turning point for them that's when they'll start coming together as a team Peter, and show passion Peter um, is there any I mean, despite your natural pessimism um, <laughs> do, you, do you feel that uh, there's any way that A uh, Ireland could lose on, on, on the weekend and B that the season is then decided at Twickenham for them um, is there any way they could lose um, yes there is the way, there is a way that they could lose I'm 
uh, I suppose if um, if they if they target Ireland's halfbacks and they're allowed to get away with it, something like that. But you're talking about, you know, that's that's it's a long shot, really. Um, I think all that stuff about that I said at the start about feeling pessimistic because people were so optimistic. That's it's old half now. Ireland, as you you guys have mentioned, are a very structured systematic team and they're almost sort of um, mechanical in the way they go about doing things under Schmidt uh, which is what you want for an assignment such as this so uh, what Irish supporters are hoping is that uh, as Al says that France will produce a big performance or two in this championship and hopefully it'll be, it'll be in round four they'll soften England up uh, in round four and then we'll have a, a grand slam decider uh in Twickenham on St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> Peter, Peter O'Reilly in our Dublin office. Thanks, Emilian, and we'll all catch Cheers, up guys. soon. This is The Ruck. We'll be back soon. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome back to The Ruck. We're now going to move on to the game in Cardiff, Wales and Scotland. That looked a pretty tough game. Uh, for both sides and a vital one for both sides um, w- Wales because if you lose at home Al your whole season's in trouble Scotland because with so many Welsh players out if they lose this then they really are in the mental mush um, <laughs> huge 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 game for them um, for a start who can play who is fit to play up front well it's funny I was speaking to well firstly I agree with you on it's rare, it's rare to say that genuinely who if you lose this first game it can it can really scupper the rest but particularly for Wales because they've got away games two in a row bang bang um, after this one so it is in many respects must win for them Scotland it's interesting you say who can play I was speaking to Mark Palmer the Sunday Times Scotland's uh, correspondent um, about this uh, who's I have to say has been in incredible form so far this season um, with his writing he had a, a brilliant interview with Finn Russell yes, on Sunday if, if, if you get a chance try and read that I was speaking to him and we were laughing about the fact well sort of gallows humour that if Stuart McAnally, who's the first choice hooker for Scotland at the moment, who had a fantastic November, has turned into a real leader for this pack, if he goes down, what the hell happens for Scotland? Because there are people falling like, f- dropping like flies left, right, and centre in that Scottish front row. What you would uh, temper that with is, and we're 
Scotland, I think, will at least take solace for this first game. Is they're going to have an established second row. Some people would actually like to see the Grey brothers reunited in the second row, but Grant Gilchrist is being talked up as an op- uh, as a possible starter in that second row as well. And then you've got that established back row. And if you've got Hamish Watson and you've got John Barclay and you've possibly got Ryan Wilson, and I, I'd, I'd underline his name for what I'm about to say next, against a rookie fly half um, at the Principality Stadium, it's going to be Niggle City. There's going to be snapping and chirping and uh, maybe a little bit of gentle afters it's going to be a horrible afternoon for whoever comes up against this I, I call them sneaky and I mean this with all due respect Scottish back row and they're performing really well at the moment and that's where Scotland fa- Scottish fans can take solace and the two fr- front row props are oh, well pick a name out of a hat I mean we're talking about John Welsh pass the hat slotty yeah but John Welsh is likely to start uh, people are talking about John Welsh starting at tight head and Simon Bergen had an absolute brain fade uh, in the 1872 cup games by stamping uh, on Fraser Brown's head and garnering himself a long layoff which means he's going to miss his first game and then we had Xander Ferguson falling out injured and of course he already had WP now out with a broken arm um, so Welsh is looking like a, a surprising recall into the squad. Was John Welsh was his last appearance for Scotland? It, that's that quarter final. It was. He was the man who was deemed um, to have knocked the ball on against Australia. Owen, how how how, how do you see this? Um, you, you, we've seen Llanethly a lot lately. There's suddenly in this thing now that, that we love the way you go to Llanethly every week. Can I just <laughs> say that on the record, I love that. Now people are saying, look, we're going to get all these kids in who've played so well in the European Cup. International rugby's not like that. I'm afraid you can't, you can't just pick um, uh, twelve scarlets, as I believe they're known by some. Um, <laughs> do your Wales have any chance? I mean, they, they haven't got a num- number eight to their name. The, the other second row is a matter of doubt. Midfield's a matter of doubt. Four people queuing up at ten, none, none of whom are that m- are much good. No, I, I think it's it's just a really miserable outlook for the Welsh, to be honest with you. I mean, the, that that Scotland game could be good, could could work for them because they are actually quite strong where Scotland are weak uh, in, in the front row so so they could do something there um, yes as you say they, they could play the Thanethley back line and, and they look brilliant against Bath but I, I, I would suggest that Scotland are better than Bath uh, uh, and then they go to England away, away and um, Ireland away straight after that and, and I, I just think they're on a bit of a hiding to nothing uh, and I think I think their injury situation is actually at, at the stage I mean they, they're missing four starting Lions and, and two other key Lions the two two starting halfbacks their injury situation is at a stage where I, I think I think they, they can almost be given a pass for the Six Nations you know they, they, they might they'll probably win they might win two games and, and, and then we'll go alright well that, that didn't really matter let's just move on I think bringing those two points together though talking about the Scarlets and how they've performed and maybe that doesn't mean so much when you come into the test level but Owen's right and Gatland has actually hinted at this himself is that they will be targeting Scotland's front row and people need to be prepared to see Evans, Owens and Lee talked about as a unit from now on for as long as possible because Scarlets or Wales they are going to be incredibly strong and that's where you can look to say okay confidence comes from here because they will get penalties in that first game Yeah, they've got a French referee as well so that will certainly help I've got a problem with what you say there the fact that Wales' first choice front row is still playing 
doesn't mean they're particularly dominant because they haven't been dominant for, for a long, long time. No, but you will see them for a long time. And in this first game, that is the perfect opportunity them, okay. for them to start off the Six Nations. OK, we, we'll, we'll keep England uh, till the last. We have to move on to Italy. We've waited a long time. It's a heck of a long time since Gian Piero Di Cali scored the try 18 years ago. Indeed. Never quite reached the point of critical mass. I think, I mean, I think the point of critical mass is when you can win your home games. Okay, you don't win the Grand Slam, but you win your home games. It has been a long and frustrating wait. Are there any signs? There are some promising signs. Um, Benetton, Treviso this year especially have have been a better team. Um, Zebra have picked up a few surprise wins in the Pro 14. The difference I'd say with the past is you look at that that team which wasn't necessarily challenging for the title, but when you had your Parises, your Bergamascos, your Marzis, all these guys playing abroad, and that was backed up by home talent. Now it's pretty much, with the exception of Parises, a home-based team, and as well as I've obviously mentioned that Benetton have been doing quite well but they still got thumped by Toulon a couple of weeks ago these guys are still in the lower reaches of the Pro 14 so and add to that a few key injuries to, to some of their more promising players it they're still not there um, I think one of the reasons they brought in Conor O'Shea was because he was there as a bigger picture man he wasn't Jacques Brunel is a kind of a very much a hands-on coach O'Shea is mm. going to see the bigger picture he's very much involved in the franchises and trying to push them I just don't really see the progress has been made as yet what about 10 we've waited forever for a 10 even one who could have played in the in the Green King Championship would have been nice is it going to be Canna for a start or Thomas O'Allen against England I think it's going to be Carlo Canna. Uh, they really do like him. He's very talented. He is playing well. He's, I mean, he's, I'd say he's almost a, a, a French 10 and he's quite flaky, but on his day can be absolutely outstanding. And, and, and Lovato, a decent contender? Yeah, so he and uh, Ferrari at tight head. Those, those two look like they're long-term successors to your Castros and your Perugini. So up well, front, Ferrari they should be, be good. Yeah. Indeed. Well, <laughs> interestingly, to talk about, to talk about Canna, certainly having spoken to Conor O'Shea about him a couple of times, he's still not quite taking that second step. But O'Shea says that there are elements of his game that are better than a lot of other players that are competing in this competition. His pass, for example. Keep an eye out for that because that is at least a weapon that they have. But the flakiness is an issue. And one of the biggest problems, looking from the outset from Italy, is if you're having to bring back Alessandro Zani who for potentially get his 100th cap for Italy if he plays enough minutes. Surely it's just, sentiment aside, surely it's time to say to players like him, look, thanks. Maximum Banda is seen as the great pretender to be the next captain of, of Italy if, a few years down the line. They see him having a huge potential, but where else are there other options in the back row? So, um, Zani, I think, will play in the second row if he does play. Sure. They're, they're, the plan is for him to get to 100 caps. I doubt he'll play. he's not going to play in that first game, by all accounts. They've got Giovanni Licata, who's their young number eight, who's seen as the long-term successor to Parise. I mean, good luck there. Um, but he was in their 20 squad last year, made his, his debut in November. They're really excited about him. Um, they've obviously not picked Jake Pelledri, who's been talked up a lot for his Gloucester performances. Um, I think the back row will be interesting. I think they'll start with Licata... Abraham Stain will just tackle everything in sight and Parise, provided he stays fit with Mbanda. So there are options there, but it's just kind of in the back. You look at it, there's a, who, who are the game breakers beyond Kane? He's passing to people, but I mean, there's lots of kind of good, honest tries, but I don't really see who's going to really make the difference. Oh, in um, uh, finally, England, after all the months of talking, come round to playing the game. And um, we'll be, obviously, despite injuries, we'll be very interested to see who they pick, etc. But 
Is the game going to be strong enough for us to learn anything about Eddie Jones and England? Is the opposition going to be a valid opposition from which we can draw conclusions? Yeah, absolutely, definitely. If you if you compare to to the autumn now, I think the Six Nations is is arguably a better test of them. The autumn, if you have the if you're playing the All Blacks, then you have a, a, a cracking test of where you are. If you're playing Australia in South Africa, you might get them on a good day or you might not. Because uh, as we've discussed many times on this program, international rugby in the Southern Hemisphere is weak, and Europe is 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 stronger. I mean, England are two in the world, Ireland are three in the world, uh, uh, Scotland five. Yeah, five. Um, so it's a comparison relatively strong time yes you can we will be able to tell a lot about England I think and they've plateaued they need to, to take a step on but from Italy uh, all, oh, from this it, game it's, in particular it's, it's been so Eddie Jones has said all we're trying to do is to beat, is, is to beat Italy it's so boring we'll, we'll, when he we'll, says that isn't it I know he's desperate well, so is everybody else everything else he says <laughs> but, uh, but I mean will there be any chance that they can um, it, is an, it is a proper test to tell themselves about themselves Okay, sorry, I'll readdress that question. No, I see it as... A, this is a terrible thing to say. A bit of a training game. It's just it's it's just a chance to to really mould that team for the challenges ahead. Not a very complimentary thing to say about Italy, but if, it, if, Italy, if Italy come within 20 points, I'd be surprised. The one interesting thing I will, I will say is that last year... Obviously, England ended up winning comfortably, but it probably taught them a lot about themselves and learning to think on their feet. If Conor O'Shea, Brendan Venter, Mike Cat come up with something innovative again, maybe it will be a good test to see if they've actually learned from that. Paul Gustard said this week that, oh, they planned for everything. They'd even planned for it last year. I mean, it's hard to tell given their first half performance. But that's the only way I can really see them kind of taking much from the game. OK, um, Al, um, can we use your expertise on front row play? Um, England have had the same front row for a long time. Wunderpola, Hartley, Bo- uh, the latter of which has been criticised, and and Dan Cole. Are they ever going to be a dominant front row? Well, they've had enough practice uh, mm. to have a, go- have a go at it. I mean, certainly, to get motoring uh, in the Six Nations, they'll get the opportunity against Italy. They, I mean... It's another cliche we talk about. It, it's Italy's front row. Italy's front row should get beasted by by England's in this opening game. Marco Vinopoulos has talked up the fact that he needs to step up to the next level in terms of tight play. Um, I mean, very impressive around the, the park. You couldn't say that for the other two. Um, but they'll win games. That's the thing. Dominant. It's a phrase that we use. I'm not sure if you can realistically now win a game in the scrum. Their scrum will do enough to get by. It's a great shame, but you're right. Yeah, but you know that's the case now, mm. um, and I suppose Scottish fans will be breathing a sigh of relief hearing me say that with their game against Wales. But England will get by in their games, and Dan Cole is reliable enough. They they have already proved that they're willing to accept the amount of penalties that he will give away in a game to keep using him because they can set their watch by him. Dylan Hartley, they've already agreed that they can live with his lack of explosion because they can bring someone else off the bench. So we're going to have to get used to seeing seeing this front row. You're right, dominant is probably not a phrase we'll end up using about them, but they don't have to be. I'll just ask, what do you make of Harry Williams? Well, so he, he's sort of in waiting as the number two tight head, especially with Carl Sinclair injured at the moment. Yeah. Um, you, well, you get this better than me, but when I've seen him for Exeter, 
every time that Thomas Francis has been exchanged for, for Harry Williams, the Exeter scrum improves. Well, so, I mean, I, I agree with you. I, I, I believe that I've seen that as well. And I've, I think I've say, said on this podcast before that I would like to see Harry Williams start for England. It just doesn't look like it's going to happen. But I am a fan of the way he plays. I believe that he, he offers a dynamism in set piece that you might not see from other people. You know, there's strength, certainly there's strength there already, but he adds dynamism, which you actually need in set piece. And I'd love to see him getting more racking up more and more minutes and you speak to people at Exeter about him and they say he lives and breathes set piece he will be I've heard people say he and will big, be a scrum and off. Yeah. And big off. yeah absolutely and we've heard people say he will be a scrum coach when he hangs up his boots he's, he's already looking in to that side of things so he is the long term future for me at England at tight head if I had to pick a one player I'm most disappointed is injured for this Six Nations and I haven't done this gone through it rigorously but, but I am really sad we're not seeing Carl Sinclair Mm. I would just love to see him have Absolutely. a full Six Nations. Well, I'm, really glad, I'm glad on that front that Ben Teo's looks like he's going to be fit because I don't like the idea of a guy buzzing off for six weeks and leaving his club behind. I just don't like that at all. But he did it and he's come back fit. And uh, I think I think they've got to find out whether he can be as good as he looked like he might be on, on, the, on the Lions tour. That's quite a lot of question the, marks about Ben Teo's love of his club, to be honest. Isn't no. Well, we, you, you said it yourself. Sorry, I mean, that, that's why Lawrence doesn't think Hartley should be the captain because Lawrence was a was a club man and that's where it all starts but um, oh and just one one more thing Mike Brown's found another reason not to be dropped now because he's, in, he's injured so <laughs> do you think he's going to carry on till he's got about 4,000 caps uh, we're, we're, I can't, sorry, I'm struggling to get this sentence out because I've probably said it so many times I just cannot see Eddie persevering with Mike Brown all the way to Japan and I, I keep on saying our oh, next campaign it's going to happen I can't remember when I, I, when I first started saying this so just Anthony Watson needs to have a start and really turn it on like we know he can. I mean, it's, there's just no dispute that as an attacking force, he is light years ahead, and he just needs to put it down, and then he'll then he becomes hard to drop. That's that's what England fans need, and at some point that will happen. Yeah, I just want to ask everyone else: Who do you want to see at number eight for the duration of the Six Nations for England? Okay. Look, hang on, I'm the compare. Yeah, but I just, I'm just. What's that then? I'd, I'd want can, to you leave... cut, can you cut back? I'm well supposed to be the done. compare. Finally, it's live the hell. Compare. It's, 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 it's a coup. It's a coup. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in your view, Steve. <laughs> yeah. Who you'd like to see at number eight for the duration of the Six Nations for, for England? For England? Yeah. Well, I'd like to see Billy Vanapola there, but he's, is he not fit? Um, none of the people who are there now is, is a tough one. I think I'd have Sam Simmons. But he, I tell you what, when I saw him at Glasgow last week, it, it is remarkable how small he is. Uh, I'd definitely go for Simmons, but then I, I like the, what, what the French are doing as well with the kind of the very rapid back row. Um, you do need to make up for it with carriers elsewhere. But what he did at Glasgow, as small as he is, he was just his ability to beat a man is impressive. Finally, on England, Italy, you're number eight. I'm, so I'm with Simmons with you guys. I mean, he's 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 not your big Billy by any means. He's, he's totally opposite. So it, it just in terms of long-term planning, if you if you've got something like Sam to bring off the bench in, in a World Cup, then and and he's proved himself by that stage. I, I think that would be brilliant. Okay, we've given that a good tossing round, so let's have some um, concrete proposals here. I think we all went for Ireland in France, uh, Pete with not quite as much enthusiasm. Paul, Italy, England in Rome. Give us a margin and a winner. (laughs) Um, England to win by 25. Owen? 
Yeah, England by um, 20, I said before, didn't I? Okay, big on. Uh, I'd say England by 23 points. Right, that's okay. I'd, what what I'd, about you, Steve? I'd say England probably not quite not quite 20. I just got this idea that England might, towards the end, come through a bit strongly and score a couple of tries, but probably 20 points. But Wales-Scotland, Al? Ooh, you know what? I'd, yeah. It'll be fun. I think Scotland might just nip it. Yeah, Scotland by three. Three, blimey. Danger of all agreeing. Yeah, no. um, Wales by one. Okay, Wales by one. I, I'd like to see them not mucking around with any fly. I was like to see them put Owen Williams there because he's easily the best they got. Not some Williams out of Patchell. No question. No question. Interesting. Reese Patchell um, has been uh, at the blue. Was at the Blues for a long time without, as Dylan Thomas said, forking any lightning. Just can't leave it there. D- does anyone fork lightning when they're with with Cardiff? I mean, Cardiff, uh, Cardiff take the forks out of their lightning, don't they? Is that an expression? Six Nations, we purport always to love it. I don't like it half as much as I used to because, first of all, they've binned off all the... Uh, by silly kickoff times, all the travelling fans have been binned. There used to be 30,000 per game well into the atmosphere. That's gone, which is, a sh- which is a shame. Silly kickoff times. No one really wants one on a Friday or a Sunday. Uh, utter rip-off in hotels with Dublin and Cardiff being ahead of the pack. You couldn't, you can't get a dog kennel for less than 400 quid a night when the internationals are in town. Is this the so, cheerful segment of the no, programme? No, no, I'm giving, I'm giving you the chance to come bursting out and tell me I'm wrong and um, have an orgasm of joy about the uh, tournament. But I'm just, I'm just pitching it that I don't think it's as good as it is. Owen, what do you love about it? This year, what I'm looking forward to is the Calcutta Cup. I've seen so many average Calcutta Cups. In fact, I can't really remember when I was absolutely on the edge of my seat for one. And I just really hope it delivers, because it should do. What don't you like about the Six Nations? Um, trying to find a taxi away from the Olympic Stadium in Italy. Uh, okay. The scene in Edinburgh Airport on a Sunday morning, which is like a scene from Dante's Inferno. I can't stand England persevering with their box-kicking game, thinking they can ever retrieve a, a box-kick when they never can. I get bored of Eddie Jones complaining that we're saying that he's that England aren't as good as they, as he thinks they are. And to add to your rip-offs, I think the biggest rip-off of all is the cost of an England ticket at Twickenham. Hang on, you just accused me of being downbeat about it. No, you've slaughtered it. I was just revelling in the environment. Well, t- I mean, they say that it's all the, it's the market sets the ticket prices, so it's a heck of a market, because £135 for Twickenham. And uh, I, I agree with all, with all of those things. OK, what do you love and hate about the Six Nations? So, quite controversially, this year I'm actually looking forward to a Friday night game. Um, I know it's not well, the done thing. Stop, no. stop recording. <laughs> Can stop we recording. stop? We'll have to start this whole podcast again. Start again. Who yeah. brought him along? Uh, just because France against Italy, it's in Marseille, it's going to be something completely different. First mm. Six Nations game in France, not played in Paris. Uh, the atmosphere mm. in Marseille is incredible. Good comeback. Good comeback. Very um, good. It's not very far from Italy, so for once you might actually be able to get some away fans to a Friday night game. Mm. So, I think there's potential for that to be quite an exciting one. So, you think you ought to apologize? And then also, I mean, we mentioned him earlier, but Mathieu Jalibert, I'm excited to see how he goes. He's a, I mean, he's a 19-year-old French fly half, so he'll probably be retired in about three years. But he is very exciting. He can actually play for territory, which none of them seem to be able to do. So I think there's potential there. So I'm excited to see what he does. Al, in my recent Rugby World column, I said how much I love the whole Scottish experience from top to bottom, which was from from the heart. What do you love and not love about the Six Nations? Well, uh, if you, you mentioned going to Murrayfield. Uh, you know, I love I love the way in that sense of anticipation, and it it will always be one of the cold. It's like standing at the Arctic, 
on an ice shelf somewhere. So everyone's having to huddle together, talking crap, drinking whatever they want to drink. I like that experience. What I don't like about going to the match days is getting to a pub anywhere within the vicinity of 18 miles of the stadium is going to be an absolute nightmare anywhere for fans. Airports are an absolute disaster. Cardiff train station after any game that played at the Principality Stadium is Mm. one of the inner circles of hell. And... uh, yeah, any kickoff that Scotland have to receive will be a nightmare as well. Heart and mouth stuff. But oh, and another thing actually, and I'm going to say the hope and the bonami, bonami between fans is fantastic. However, I'm already I haven't I haven't even seen any yet, and I'm already sick of pictures of fans from one nation from each nation hugging each other. Oh yeah, yeah, it doesn't go that far, does it? Yeah. But they're not fans; they're just people who've been dressed up as fans by the BBC, aren't they? <laughs> okay, I've uh, well, the one thing I love above all is I love those blokes on the microphone before the game screaming and ranting and telling you when to clap when your team runs on the field here come your Wales your England you would never have thought as a fan to clap your team on the field when they come on should we just do a separate podcast about gripes because you've got me <laughs> yeah. you got me thinking about yeah, music no, played at stadiums I, should, I, what, I don't know I'm, I'm, I'm not, not special we'll be back in the studio with a better panel uh, after every weekend of the Six Nations we'll have all the opinions news and views and Slotty What's the address where people can write to us and we might even reply? The Ruck at thetimes.co.uk. Okay, that was one take. Thanks, everybody. We'll be back with The Ruck next week. And thanks to the panel, Al, Paul, and. Sorry, I forgot Slotty's name. <laughs> this is a shambolic ending, but hopefully people enjoy it. That's, that's all right. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.